so good to see you. And hasn't this gathering, this worship, been a phenomenal thing for us today? We are so appreciative. I, um, I want to jump into the message. I want to explain off the bat what we want to talk about today. Number one, we want to, the message, I'm, I'm not even sure it's a message, a, a, a sermonic message, but it is my heart. I want to talk to you about understanding the times. Then um, I, I want to talk to us about where our own hearts are. I want to share with you the plan that we believe the Lord is stirring and beginning to put together. Not everything is set in concrete. Uh, there are still hoops that have to be jumped through. Um, and we want to understand the partnership that we have to make this happen. I do want to just, um, I'm going to talk to my family today. So I'm not going to take time, time to qualify every statement. Sometimes, especially when we know people that aren't acquainted with us or listening, sometimes we take a lot of time to qualify a statement or to explain a statement. I'm, I'm probably not going to do that today because of the audience th that uh, I am focusing on. I do want to tell you that uh, the Lord has spoken a couple of things to my heart in which to frame this message today. Number one, I believe that this is a turning point in our church today where God is going to begin to accelerate an exponential increase. Now, I, I think that um, that may or may not mean new numbers, but I know that it's talking about our influence. I know that it's talking about generational blessing. I know that the impact we will have on our city and on the state and people that will be sent around the world we, we're not just going to increase today is when it will be evident that we begin an exponential increase of those things. It's also something that I need to say. Um, I was, it was part of the message, but it was kind of getting big in my mind. And a couple of people have confirmed it this morning. I want you to know when we talk about the promises for you and your children, we're not just talking about our children here. We're not just talking about as precious, boy, they just kept coming. They just kept coming. And you didn't even get to see probably half of them, I imagine, but uh, they kept coming. And it is a blessing for our children that are here, but it's a blessing for your children that have wandered astray. It's for your grandchildren that aren't in church right now. God's promise is not just for those in an ideal situation, being in the right place at the right time. God is remembering the prayers you have prayed for your children. God is remembering the prayers you have prayed for your grandchildren. And we believe that God is a generational God. So we're going to be talking about that. I sent you a letter uh, and I said, I've, I've, in the nearly three decades I've served Christian life, I don't think there's a time I've ever been more excited than I am right now about these possibilities that are before us. The text that we want to look at today is from Acts chapter 2 and verse 9, or no, not verse 9, um, help me, 39, 39. I, I had one number right, um, Acts, uh, uh, the, the verse is 39, and um, this is the promise, it says that the promise is for you and your children. 
that's what we want to talk about today, something that God is going to do in our midst that partners with us and our children. Now you say, well, I don't have any children. That's all right. You're still family and you're still part of this generational thing that God wants to do. So Father, we pray today, we dedicate ourselves to the Holy Spirit and his work. We know that you said of the Holy Spirit that he would be comforter and he would not only be our comforter, but he would be our counselor. He would tell us what we ought to do. I think of Acts chapter 16 when Paul and his team of ministers were trying to spread the gospel. They didn't know what to do. Once the Holy Spirit, the word that's used is forbade or forbidden. They were forbidden to go the way they thought was the will of God by the Holy Spirit. They tried to go in another direction and it says that they were not allowed to go that way. So you are the God who not only is our comforter, but you are our counselor. You tell us, go this way, go that way, do this, don't do that. So we lay claim to that today. And you came through on the third occasion with a vision or a dream. You spoke to Paul and showed him the man from Macedonia and said, this is where I need you to go. That's what you said to Paul. We believe you're doing that for us today. As we talk about this land, Lord, we know there are many, many good ideas and a case can be made for all of them. But our goal is the goal that they reached in Acts 15 when they were dealing with a very difficult thing. It would decide the course of the church forever the philosophy of the church forever, the standard of grace forever. And after praying, they said it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Father, we're asking you to help us leave here today having a sense of this is pleasing you and it's pleasing the people of God. Now, Lord, we know there are times when we have a clear and detailed uh, specific word from the Lord. But um, we also know that there are times that you give us direction with a broad stroke of the brush. You speak to us like you spoke to Abraham, where you just said, leave this place and go out. Abraham could have said where, and you said, just go. And you will end up in a land that I will show you. So Father, right now, I don't believe, I'm not trying to be dramatic, though it is a very dramatic thing. In the 28 plus years I've been pastor of this church, I don't know of a moment that it's more important for us to hear you than right now. We need it to be good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Lord, today we are presenting a certain priority and a confident plan. It's a day of exponential increase. And on this journey, we know there will be many rest areas. We know that there may even need to be an exit ramp that we need to take. But we're asking you to bind our hearts together, blend our minds together so that we can know the will of God and that we can get behind what we believe you're putting on our hearts to do. And we give you thanks for it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey. The promise is to you and your children. That's right. The promise is to you and your children. What do we mean 
when we say we want to understand the times. Well, let me back up and paint a little bit of an atmosphere for you so that you understand what we're going to do today. In your bulletin, and you received one in the mail as well, we sent to you a card like this one uh, that says Generations. It has one of my favorite pictures on it. Um, it's called Simeon's Moment. And uh, this was the time that Simeon, who had been promised by the Holy Spirit that his generation would not end until he saw the Messiah. And, and Simeon, along with Anna, were in the temple the day that Jesus was brought to be dedicated. And he held this baby and blessed him. There's a picture a little bigger on your bulletin. This hangs in my prayer room and it hangs over the place where I prayed for my children and where I pray for my grandchildren and I pray for my grandchildren to come and my great-grandchildren to come because the, prom the promise is for you and your children. And that's what we're dealing with. Now, in a few moments, we're going to ask you to fill out one of these. You can always give a cash offering. In fact, we have, I, oh, help me, Corey, is it 40? 46, and somebody gave me a check for $1,000. We've got $47,000 that has already been given to this Next Generation project. Our goal is a half million. You say, Pastor, where are you going to get a half million dollars? That's the easy part from you. <laughs> Friend of mine said one time, first time I ever raised money, I looked at my congregation and said, we need $100,000 and I don't know where we're going to get it. And somebody after the service says, boy, that was a relief. We thought for a minute you were thinking you're going to get it from us. <laughs> well, let me tell you something. We've already raised $500,000 in a couple of years past for the project, the parking lot and renovation. It's well within our means, but we want to create a, 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 a road for you to run on. And our goal is to raise uh, a half million dollars, $500,000 um, during this year. And I'll tell you what it's going to be used for in just a few moments. We're going to find out that there's a phase one and a phase two. Phase one is spelled out. This is what we want this for this year. But phase two is a reach into the future. And that's what I'm excited about and want to talk to you about in just a little bit. So stay with me. We're going there. Um, let's talk about understanding the times. I want you to know that God is generational. God is generational. In Psalm 127.3, the scripture tells us that children are our heritage. We are in a culture that tries to tell you that children are a headache so you can have abortion up to birth. And the enemy does everything he can to destroy a culture of children. But God is generational, and he says that children are our, gener are our heritage and that they are a blessing to us. He says a man and woman that have their quiver full of them, they're like arrows. Arrows, are, uh, when he's talking about children being arrows, it means that they can go where we can't go. They can go farther than we can go. They can do more than we can do, and we've got to think generationally. If all I can accomplish for the kingdom of God is what I can do, I'm disappointed. But I can send arrows. 
I can send arrows. I can, I can send them into places that I won't live long enough to go to. I can send them into places that I don't have strength to go to. He says that they are your heritage and they are your blessing. On the day of Pentecost, think about this, when God was birthing the church, and man, that's when you want to get it right. That's when you don't want anything extraneous or superfluous crowding around. He went out of his way to tell Peter to say this, it shall come to pass in the last days, says the Lord, that what I'm doing right now, the establishing of the church, your sons and daughters, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And it's not just on the wise and the, and the witty. He said, your sons and daughters shall prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And everybody that will allow it, the Holy Spirit will be poured out on them. And then down in verse 39 where he began to close it out. And he said, I want to remind you about this wonderful promise. When, the God, uh, when God pours out his spirit on all flesh and God begins to gather in that great harvest, he said, understand this promise. Understand this promise. This promise is for you and for your children. This is what Isaiah said, or the Lord said through Isaiah. Uh, Isaiah 59, 21, As for me, this is my covenant with them, says the Lord. My spirit who is on you will not depart from you, and my words that I have put in your mouth will always be on your lips, and the lips of your children at the lips of their children from this time on and forevermore. He is generational. But now I want to tell you, we all believe that, but this is the challenge for most of us. This is not a day of change that we're in. This is a day of transition. You say, what's, what's the difference between change and transition? Change, you might change an office. You might get the, the office down at the corner with a window. Change, you might have a new title. Change, you might say, we've got a better computer program. But transition, it's not just changing a few things. It's becoming something else. And some of the times that God moves in our midst, it's just a change. I look back over the years I've been pastor here, and there's a lot of times we've done changes. We've had to do changes in the way our pastoral staff was organized. We had to make changes in the way we did worship. We, we've made dozens of changes through the years, and most of them have worked out. Those that didn't, I just blamed on Glenn. It was no problem. <laughs> but most of the time, our changes worked. But every now and then, God calls on a church to make a transition, and that means this is what you are, and there's nothing wrong with this. But you have to make changes that are so significant, it changes your identity. It changes your attention span. It changes the way you spend money. You see, there, there, are, there are changes, like when you're dating this gal and she gets tired of you, so you go get another gal. That's a change. Everything's the same. But sooner or later, you find that sweetheart that you're willing to give your life to, and that's called marriage, and that's not a change. Believe me, that is not a change. That is a transition. 
Your life becomes something it was not before. You say, oh, we've dated a long time. I've seen him at his worst. I've seen him at his best. Well, let me tell you something. If, even if you've seen him at his worst, you've seen him at the best worst you will ever see him. And you're not just changing, you are transitioning. And then when the child comes along, the child comes along. That's not a change. That's a transition. Your life will never be the same. When the second child comes, that's another transition because now you don't know for sure which kid did it. <laughs> and you will find them working together. Life is full of transitions and our church is at a time of transitioning. We're still going to be the same foundationally. We're still going to hold to the same core values, but we believe that God has touched us and he says, I'm going to exponentially make you an effective force in the world and it's going to be through generations. Most churches, most revivals last a generation because the generation that experiences the revival does not have the spiritual sense to lay that out for the next generation. We've said we want our ceiling, all that we have attained. We want our children. They've got to experience that. They can't just, they can't operate off our experience, but we want our ceiling to become their floor. We want them to go to the next level. That's what God is after us, after in us. I want to put it to you this way. We are entering a new era this is a new era. You say, well, what's the difference? Between, what's an era? An era is defined this way. <laughs> is this in your notes? Okay. An era is defined as a long and distinct period of history which has a particular feature or characteristic. It's not that we had a month of revival or it's not that we had a month of children's emphasis. No, the climate of what we are changes and the distinctives change. It doesn't mean that we're leaving something because it's bad. And it doesn't even mean necessarily that we're leaving something. But the era is being changed because something brand new is being brought into the mix and we're going to be known by something. We're going to experience something. <coughs> we're going to embrace something that may not have been part of our regular identity before, but it is now. Now, on the negative side, I want to say this. There is an obvious satanic agenda to destroy our children. There is a satanic agenda, if he can't destroy them, to at least distort them. And, and skew their worldview to the point that they don't have a clear view of, certainly not a biblical worldview. Um, there is an agenda from hell to dismiss our children. Even if they maintain a biblical worldview, they are just marginalized. They're ridiculed. They're laughed at over here. And we need to understand that the devil does it so many ways. <laughs> and each of these are worthy of their own... Um, sermon, but we don't have time to do it. One of the things that the enemy wants to do is through injustice, he, through racial injustice or economic injustice or class warfare, depending on what country you're in, it may look a little bit differently, but the enemy wants to take our young people and cause their life to be skewed and broken because of injustice. And we have always stood against that. We have always said that's wrong. This is not something where we take one and leave the others off. 
We need to be a church that stands against injustice. We need to understand that most of it we've done through missions, but it's invading our own nation in unprecedented ways now. We need to be a nation or a church that stands against human trafficking. We need to pray against this stronghold, this demonic thing that is trying to wrap its hands around the throat of our nation. We need to stand against injustice and we need to stand against human trafficking. We need to to live lives that are worthy of the Lord so that we stand against physical, emotional, and sexual abuse. It's been a silent sin against our children. And we have children growing up, sometimes growing up in church, that they are so broken and so hurt and so devastated because we have turned a blind eye to the kind of thing that goes on in their world every day. And it's called abuse. And you know how I feel about abortion. And abortion, you know, you say, well, you know, I, I know, Pastor, I think you've made abortion worse than it is. No, I'm not. In fact, when you study the history of Judah and the study, uh, and you study the history of Israel, both nations had injustice. Both nations had human trafficking. Um, I'm sure there must have been some kind of abuse that went on in the homes of Judah and Israel. But it wasn't until they began to offer their children to Moloch. It wasn't until they began infanticide, which is the equivalent of abortion. It wasn't until then that they crossed the line. And loved ones, I'm not here to grind an ax. I'm not here to make anyone mad. But I'm here to tell you, you cannot pick and choose which thing you want to fix. You cannot get angry at someone that, that says all of these things are important. And I want to tell you what keeps rising up, and I want to be careful. I want to guard my heart when I say this. We hear this over and over again. You preach against abortion, and, it's, and I know it's wrong, but there's no room for but. The, the southern churches in America during the Civil War said, well, slavery may be wrong, but. And loved ones, nobody in here today would say it's acceptable to say slavery's wrong, but you have to come to grips where slavery is wrong. And if we're going to save a generation, we've got to learn to, uh, to, to, <coughs> to protest, to petition, to vote, to end injustice. We have to be sure that we create a climate where it is as close to impossible as possible for abuse to take place in our children. We've got to stand against human trafficking. There are no victimless uh, crimes when you visit a prostitute or when you go online to watch pornography. You say, well, that's consensual. Probably it's not consensual. We have to stand against injustice. We have to stand against human trafficking. We have to stand against abuse. But loved ones, we have to stand against abortion. And I don't understand why that is so protected by Christians. I don't understand why that is so unwilling to be addressed by Christians. And we need to understand that if we're going to be serious about generations, we've got to be serious about generations across the board. God loves us generationally. Now let's talk about our own hearts. I've talked about the times that we live in. And if we're going to be a people with blessed children, we've got to stand against the, at least these four wicked responses that society's putting on us. Number two, let's look at our own hearts. 
It's so easy, it's so easy to get focused on us and forget generations. There were two times in the Old Testament, uh, two very clear times, that Israel was in such apostasy that God said, you have passed a point of no return. You've passed a point of no return. And the first one has to do with Josiah. We won't read the text today, but in 2 Kings 22, 20, Josiah uh, came into power when he was eight, and when he was in his mid-20s, he began to lead a revival in Judah where the word of God was restored, the temple was restored. And here is a man who, be, who became king at age eight, and one of his first adult acts was to create a climate where they brought Passover back. It was the great Passover. Men like Jeremiah and Ezekiel would have been a part of that great Passover. Josiah said, we're going to break down the altars. We're going to rebuke. We're not going to offer our children on the fire anymore. The problem with Josiah is not that he didn't do his job. Now hear me, just stay with me for a minute. The Bible says that Josiah was the greatest king of, that, that Israel had in this respect. Now it says that about three men, but each of their claims to greatness was different. But Josiah was one of the three great kings of Israel, and this is why. It says before him or after him, nobody made up their mind to pursue the Lord and obey his word as completely and thoroughly as Josiah did. But with all that can be said for Josiah, the people followed, but they followed from afar. And loved ones, we have to be careful. I'm not saying we're doing this. I pray that we're not. and, And I'm not saying that we are. I think I know you better than that. But we need to be careful that we don't do like the people of Judah did in Josiah's day, where they say, amen, good preaching. That's the way to go, King Josiah. But their hearts were not turned. And after, uh, after um, uh, he came to power at eight, he died at 39. He died at 39. And so after over 30 years of reformation, of cheering by the crowd, he was a king that was so loved. But the people said, yeah, that's what we believe. That's what our church believes. But their hearts were not changed. They became politically aligned with God. They became doctrinally aligned with God. But their hearts did not follow. And this is what God said. He said, it's too late The people have not turned. But he says to Josiah, because of your pursuit of my word, I will see that your eyes never see any of this. Now, Josiah didn't ask for that. Josiah didn't didn't request that. And Josiah kept right on doing what he had been doing. There's another king um, named uh, Hezekiah. And Hezekiah was also one of the truly good kings in the nation of Israel or in Judah. The prophet came to him, Isaiah came to him just as the prophet came to Josiah later. And he said to Hezekiah, this is what he said is going to happen. Everything Israel or Judah considers valuable will be carried off. All of your heritage, all of your victories all of your history books, everything that kings before you have built, everything that David built and established, 
Everything that Solomon helped foundationalize, all of that is going to be lost. And, and Isaiah said this, and listen to me, Hezekiah, listen to me. Your own children will be carried off. Your sons and your grandsons and your great-grandsons will be made eunuchs. They will be castrated and serve foreign kings and foreign idols. And everything that you claim to be righteous and holy will be carried off and destroyed. And here's Hezekiah's response. Well, the word from the Lord is good. His judgment is just. How could he say the word of the Lord is good and the judgment is just and not let it affect him knowing that his own children would be carried off? This is what the scripture says. He, he said this because he thought in his heart, well, at least it won't be in my lifetime. At least I won't have to endure this. And loved ones, God has told us everything that we do should facilitate faith in our children. He told Moses and Joshua, are you guys with me today? He told Moses and Joshua, he said, put up these monuments, put these rocks in the river, build these altars. And the purpose of it is that whenever your children say, what do these stones mean? You'll point them back to what God has done and what God has established in your midst. A wise man said, it's likely that your children will follow your example, even if they don't take your advice. And loved ones, this is what I want us to be careful for. I'm not accusing anyone of this. If God wants to give you a blessing, a singular blessing because of your righteousness, then like he did Josiah, let him do that. But I want to tell you something. When the word of the Lord says your children are at risk, your generations are at risk, the culture is changing and it's moving against God, don't say, well, at least it won't be in my lifetime. That would be like me saying, well, you know, that's Jackson's problem. He's got to worry about that. No, I'd die for my children. I'd die for my grandchildren. I'd die for my great-grandchildren. I haven't even met them yet. I want to tell you something. We need to be a generation of Christians that say, I will not allow the world to go to hell in a handbasket and just sweep my children along with it. Hezekiah was a great king, just like there are a lot of great Christians, just like there are a lot of great churches. But I wonder how many of us are saying in our mind, oh, I'm just, just hope, it I hope I don't see it. Loved ones, I tell you the reason I cry over America just about every day. I tell you the reason that I think the politics of our nation make a, make a difference. I tell you the reason I cry out for God when I see the decisions that are made in Congress and the State House. I know because my grandchildren will be here long after I'm gone. I, it never crosses my mind to say, well, praise God, I'll be in heaven. I'll be watching from the balcony when all this takes place. My children, my children. My grandchildren, your grandchildren, they are going to be facing the world we have left them. And are you going to leave them on their own? <coughs> Hezekiah failed in the end because his concern apparently was about his own comfort and his own agenda. 
To do what we're asking you to do today is counterintuitive because we think we have learned, we paid the price, we've earned this. Uh, uh, and you say, why do I want to pour it out on youth? And please, young people, don't be offended. I'm just telling you what a lot of people think. Why do I want to waste my money on kids? They are full of wasted zeal. They make one blunder after another. They're not always wise. They, they, I mean, they, how could so much stupid get poured into one head? Where did they get that from? I'll tell you where they got it from. They got it from us. They got it from us. I can't tell you how many times I wish I could say, I wish I could go back to when I was 15 and, and knowing what I know now, I, I would live my life so differently. All of us would, but you can't do that because you're living your life well now because of what you learned and you can't forget it and go back and think you'll live any better. No, I tell you what, my eggs are in the basket of the next generation. I know they've got problems, but I don't know that they've got any more problems than the older generation. I don't know that I would not rather deal with unbridled zeal than deal with a Hezekiah mindset that says, well, I just want it to calm down and not in my lifetime. I, I, I know that this is easily misunderstood and listen to what I'm saying, not what you think I'm saying. I know in churches like the Assemblies of God and Southern Baptist churches and others, Generally, we teach that there's the rapture of the church and we have, for good reasons and not so good reasons, we have said that the rapture is going to occur before the tribulation. And there are reasons to believe that. There are reasons to take the other views as well. That's not what we're talking about today. But I, I want to tell you, in all my years of pastoring in Assemblies of God churches, I don't think I've ever heard anyone say, well, the reason I believe in in the pre-tribulational rapture is because I think it's theologically sound and because of this context and that context. I've never had anybody give me a, an explanation that says, well, I believe in the rapture because I believe the intricacies of scripture. No, it's God's going to get us out of here. And I don't think it's intentional and I don't think it's what we meant, but we have adopted in the assemblies of God and in congregations like ours, many people, I'm not saying it's, it's the position of the church, but many people have adopted the mindset that says, oh, we don't even have to worry about any of that. Jesus is coming. He's going to get us out of here. Well, he is coming and he is going to get us out of here. But what if it's not when you think it is? And, and, and you say, well, no, pastor, I'm, I'm, you better be careful. I'm going to call Doug Clay and turn you in. Well, I know you wouldn't do that. We're joking. But, but what I'm trying to say is even if the pre-tribulational rapture is exactly right, the question I want to ask you is this. Are you taking comfort saying, well, we won't be here? What about your children? What about your grandchildren? What about uh, others that don't know him? You've fallen into the, at least the fringes of this Hezekiah trap where, well, the Lord is just, his judgments, everything he does is good, the Lord doesn't make mistakes, and all of that is true, unless you're saying that because it won't happen in my lifetime. That's amazing preaching. You don't appreciate it, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> We've got to understand our own hearts. Here's the plan that we want to understand. We've got to hurry here. We are going to be making some changes this year. Um, some of them you already know about. And it's, it's not that we're becoming something we're not, but we are trying to become more of what we are. 
and we're trying to make good decisions. Most of you heard a couple of weeks ago that SESL is coming to an end. This will be the last graduating class. Um, I think another thing that churches have a tendency to do is if something's good, they keep it going until it runs off the rail and it isn't good anymore. But we're doing the opposite. We're saying SESL is, has served a purpose. It's doing a good job. The leadership are our heroes. But we feel we're following the cloud, as you heard a couple of weeks ago. We feel that it's time to end SESL. But we also feel that there is a new ministerial training program that will be rising up in its place. You're going to hear more about that. It's different. It's not a change. It's a transition. So we're not afraid to move when the cloud moves. When, when Moses wrote, he said the children of Israel followed the cloud. Whenever the cloud stopped, they stopped. They set up camp. And they stayed there until the cloud moved. They, and the scripture says that we might have stayed there a day. We might stay there a month. We might stay there a year. But our job is to follow the cloud. So we're trying to follow the cloud. So that's a big change that's going on. You'll be hearing more about that later. We, we are, um, <clears throat> we've always been serious about care for our children. Um, we, we have realized that we need to expand just a bit. I'm going to ask Bunk and Alyssa to come up here and Pastor Corey. And um, and, and Everett. Everett and Luca. Hey guys. Hey. Let me tell you what, uh, they have been on staff here for several years working with SESL that's coming to an end. We have always done well with children. I think we've always had a strong preaching ministry. I think we have always tried to do well with our teenagers, our middle school and our teenagers. I feel like we have our children covered from birth uh, up through high school. And uh, uh, Pastor Mike and Rachel are doing a phenomenal job with them. Pastor Corey, before he became executive pastor, did a great job. We, we've, had, we've always had that focus. But what we have felt God stirring in our heart for maybe going on two years now is we feel like there's a big gap in our church uh, of pastoral care. And that's with our young adults. So we have asked Bunk and Alyssa to take on the mantle of leading our young adult ministries. That means from the time they graduate high school uh, up until there's no age number because I remember the first time when I was 41 years old and somebody told me I was too old to be <laughs> in young adults and I wanted, I wanted to, to give them a slap just as hard as I could. <laughs> But we realize that God has done a couple of things for us. We have a lot of, of uh, young men and women that are graduating from college or graduating from high school even that we, we are expecting them to just transition into the, the old guys. But we need a, a creative living platform for our young singles but also for our young marriage. We have had such an influx of young couples with children. And we, to tell you the truth, we have not done a good job of providing groups 
That's right. And, and we have not done a good job of providing opportunities for that, generally speaking, 20 to 35-year-old age group. So we've asked uh, uh, Bunk and Alyssa to come in and create a whole new ministry in our church. Now, they've got to get through the school year first. It'll be the summer before they get started. But they, these are the newest members of our staff. Is that... <laughs> You like that? Yeah. <laughs> Amen. So we're hiring, we're hiring um, Everett and Luca, and they're going to get their moms to help them out here with young adult ministries. And uh, this, this, is, this represents a financial commitment. It represents a transition into a new way of thinking because we want everyone, we want everyone at every age to have a place to plug in, a group to belong to, a ministry to do. Uh, we've always had seniors ministry, but something otherworldly has happened. Many of us, it's never happened to us before, have sprouted gray hair. And, and we have people that are in seniors right now that were young marrieds when I came here. Yeah, I'm, I'm dedicating the children of people that I dedicated them when I came. So we realize that gray hair is a source of incredible wisdom. It's a source of incredible uh, opportunity. It's a source of incredible resource. So we want to be sure that from cradle to grave, everybody at Christian Life, every generation has a place to plug into. And we feel that this is going to plug a really big hole for us. So let's give them a hand one more time, Pastor Corey. I'm, a, I'm, about to, I'm, about to go, I'm about to land this thing, but before we do, I wanted Pastor Corey to, to lead you in a prayer of dedication for these guys. Now, remember, it'll be like June or so before they get started because they've got to, we want to end SESL well, but um, that's coming up. It's coming up soon. Corey? Amen. Will you extend your hands this way? Yes. Pray for this couple with us. Father, we come to you in the name of Jesus. We're so grateful for Bunk and Alyssa, for Everett and Luca. We're so thankful, Lord, for a godly and a good family unit yes, that you've yes. created within them, men and women of integrity whose hearts are to raise good and godly families. And this morning, Lord, we want to commission them. We want to lift them before heaven. And we want to ask for the presence of the Holy Spirit to be their portion in every stretch that we're about to endure. I want to pray today, God, for the peace of your spirit to surround them. Yes, yes. In these next few weeks, uh, months, as they have to finish out the school year strong and stepping in something incredibly new, we pray for the peace and the provision, yes. the providence of the Lord to go before them. We want to ask you today, God, for the anointing of the Holy Spirit to rest on Bunk and Alyssa. We want to ask you, Lord, that you would look on them with favor that as Bunk speaks, as Alyssa speak the word of God, yes. we want to pray today, Lord, that their words would not fall to the ground, just like your prophet Samuel. We want to ask Amen. you today, God, that you would look on their faithfulness of so many years, so many sacrifices that they made up to this point. We want to pray, Lord, that you would honor them and bless them for it. 
As a Christian life family, I want to pray, Lord, that you will help us to love them well, to come support them, to surround them on every level, to bring them in fully and completely. And Father, we look forward to what you're going to do in this city for this young adults ministry. We pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, that you would begin to bring souls to the kingdom that you would bring those who are struggling through deconstruction and different elements like that. And we want to pray that they would find safety and refuge here in the house of the Lord. So, Lord, raise up Bunk and Alyssa and Everett and Luca. Give them your peace. Give them your help. Give them your strength. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. 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 Yes. Amen. Love you, sweetie. God bless you. Give me five, buddy. All right, all right. Now let's understand our plan. We're about to land this plane. We're circling the airport. We're waiting for clearance to land. Let me explain the plan that we want to do. Now, structurally, we want to be sure that there is a devoted pastor to our elders, to our middle age young adults and young adults, Middle age, you just you're just surviving, getting your children raised. You're okay, but um, our youth, our children, um, what we are asking you to do. This is generations part one. Now I think the part you'll be excited about is part two. Um, today we're about to ask you to to make a commitment, uh, like. Ramona and I have, we filled this out. We said we'll give X number of dollars a month. This is, we, we're aiming for the end of the year. Now, we realize that we may have to go over. We understand that. There are so many parts to this puzzle because some people are here today and you say, Pastor, I don't know how I can give anything extra, but if you can do something, it, it, it'll be part of the victory. There are others of you here, you could write a, a, a Check for six figures today, not counting the zeros, you know, at the, at the, after the decimal point. We know that. We've got folks in all kinds of situations. We're asking the Lord to help us raise $500,000 by the end of this year. That's 10 months. This is what we want to accomplish. There are three components. Number one, uh, the first part is debt elimination. We want to pay off the land in its entirety. You say, well, Pastor, you said that we could write a check for that today. We, we can, and, and we always have that option of just paying it off. But we also, uh, because of what I consider to be very uncertain times, we don't want to get into a cash flow problem where we don't know that we can pay the power bill or pay salaries or pay uh, missionaries by dropping our cash flow down too low. So I'm not trying to create a false narrative here. I'm not saying if you don't help us pay this land off, we're going to lose it. We could write a check today to pay it off. And we're watching things like inflation very closely because we realize that if inflation gets out of hand, that may be the best thing to do with our money as it loses value is to pay that off. But we're, we believe the plan of God is for us to raise money um, uh, as part of our budget where we eliminate our debt. Number two, uh, I don't know if you thought about this, but there's maintenance and upkeep. We've got a new house that we have to take care of and have to update and have to pay insurance on. And uh, it, we have to keep the, the grass taken care of and the land taken care of. Um, 
Pastor Corey and I are talking about redoing the chicken house and having Chinderson chickens uh, to sell eggs for missions. No, I'm, I'm kidding. But, um, and then, then the third thing, so, so there's paying for the land, there's the upkeep of the land that is new to our budget. Um, we, we've got we've to now take care of 15 acres, uh, some of it wooded, of course, uh, that we didn't have to take care of last year. Uh, or a, a year ago, I should say. But we also uh, need to upgrade our present facility where our children meet, do some safety measures uh, in our kids' present facilities. This is needed now as we move to the next level. Uh, the building uh, was opened, I think, the month before I came here. So that building, as it is, the floor is, 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 is 28 plus years old. So there's a lot of things we need to do. There's a lot of safety improvements that we need to make to protect your children. That's what this $500,000 is for. I'm trying to be as clear and concise as I can. We want to have enough money to do the, the upgrade to our present facility, which we're talking about, the gym. We, um, we, we're looking at other options. Do we, do we buy another modular? What, what are our options that we can do right now for our children? They're already running out of room, and that's a wonderful problem to have. Um, that's, that's one. The second thing is we're going to have to have uh, improvements to the house. We're going to have to maintain the land, just maintenance over at the land. And then if God will help us, we'd like to raise enough uh, from offerings, not going into our savings, but we'd like to raise enough from offerings to just pay that thing off. Um, you say, well, why, why is that so important? Because we can't do phase two unless God does something miraculous. We can't do phase two until we get phase one taken care of. We're asking the Lord to help us between now and the end of the year to have enough money to eliminate what we're talking about. Uh, even if we can't get all the work over here done within a year, have the money to do the upgrade and safety. Now here's part two that we're very excited about. Now I have to give a disclaimer. Um, I am pastor of the church, but I, I don't have the right to just spend money any way I want to. This has got to go through the board. This has got to go through, it's got to jump through hoops and uh, all, all kinds of things have to happen. But to the credit of the board, they've always been very faithful to follow what we felt was the vision of the Lord. Let me tell you what, if, if I had to make the decision today, this is what I feel God has put in my heart. I would like to use the available property over here um, and, and there may be two or three smaller things that we can talk about later, but I would like to create a large, uh, for lack of a better term, activity center that will do several things. And it will be, it will be a substantial building. And you've got to remember, loved ones, it's, it's, we don't think this way because there's woods all around that. But we have more land across the street than we have here. We have more room to build there than we have here. I would like to build an activity center that will serve generations. In that activity center, I would like to have a seniors hall where the seniors can have their meetings. You say, oh, well, you can use other rooms for that. I know what it's like to see seniors go into a room and try to sit in chairs for four-year-olds. 
We'd like to have dedicated space for our senior ministry. We would like to have a building that can be used by our various youth ministries and children's ministries. We also, in our hearts, are asking God to give us a school and, um, and, and a preschool and a, and a school and uh, perhaps a, a, a child care facility in general. We also would like to take the house that is there and the outbuildings. This is me. This is me. Call it, call it Chitty City till we get it approved, I guess. <laughs> but um, we're talking about creating a school that will serve our, our generation. And I would like to have that a hands-on cultural center where, uh, where our children can see cows milked or goats milked and eggs gathered and learn how to cook and learn how to preserve food and learn how to live uh, an off, uh, off the main grid lifestyle if, if that's what families want to do. It will serve homeschoolers and it will serve people that say we need a, a school that is not under the thumb of government control. We, we want a school that is not, taking, is not taking government subsidies so that we don't have to labor under their rules. Now, I want to tell you, that's not going to happen in six months. But we want to have a substantial building there. There will be, the, the Lord willing, there will be some recreational areas there. There will be the cultural center there. But our, our vision is to raise up a generation of children. These children that were here and your children that haven't been born yet, we want to raise them up in a culture that says we're not going to be like the world. We're going to be counterculture to the world. We're going to have a biblical worldview and we're going to be proud to be Americans again. That's what we're after with that property. It will be a center point for all ages. Um, it will be multi-generational. When I said that we're about to have exponential growth, the definition of exponential um, uh, means an uh, the, something has an increase uh, becoming more and more rapid. We believe our influence will increase, but it will become more rapid. I'm not talking to you about a 10-year program. I'm not talking to you about a 20-year program. We're asking God for two miracles. Miracle number one is the, uh, is the part one, the raising of this half million dollars. And as soon as we get that taken care of, we hope to be able to have plans ready to start moving to phase two, the building where we have a school, the building where we have a generational center, the, build, the, the plans where we have a cultural center, the plans where we have a senior center. You say, well, what's in it for me? Well, it depends on who you are. But I tell you what, uh, I, I, no doubt somebody my age would say, my children are grown. I don't need it for my children. They're grown. But you might need it for your grandchildren. And, and I, I, I want to give. I have no children at home, but I want to give to help my children. And I want to give to help my grandchildren. Loved ones, I don't want my legacy. I don't want my legacy to just be, you know, he had a big house and a nice car and was really good looking. I want my legacy... <laughs> 
to be something better than that. And you know what? I want long after I'm gone, I want my grandchildren to say, I'm in this school because my papa was one of the ones that paved the way. I'm not trying to manipulate you, but I'm saying there's a reason that every generation ought to give. Now, let's, let's wrap it up, understanding our partnership. Pastor, what do you want me to do? Here, here, I want you to think generationally, okay? This is not about what can I get for me. If so, you just need to do like Hezekiah and say, well, you know, forget my children, forget my grandchildren, forget future. I, I, I'm okay, well, I want you to think generationally. That means you protect our children. We want this church. Don't, don't let me lose you here. I know I'm going long, but let me just wrap this up. We want to create an environment that protects our children. Like little Samuel, we want our children to grow up in the presence of the Lord. We want them to grow up in the presence of the Lord. We want to protect them. We want to prepare them. We want to be counterculture. I know that I get on tirades with this sometime, but I'm, I'm afraid, and, and, I, and I hope I'm wrong, I really do, but I'm, I think that the biggest legacy of the church growth movement of the past 25 years is that we have tried to find ways that we can be more like the world instead of being unlike the world. We have thought that evangelism, the key to evangelism was let's see how much like the world we can be. Let's use their music, let's use their, their standards, let's use their reasoning. But we believe that the greatest generation is arising, but it's not going to be a generation that's in the culture or in the world, if we want to use the old way of saying it, but they are, uh, they're in it, but not of it. We want to be countercultural, so we prepare our children to live in a hostile environment. And we want to prepare our children. We want to equip them. We want to impart them. And we want to know that long after you and I are in the grave, that our children are spreading the gospel and equipping saints to do the work of the Lord. Now, the second thing I want you to do is trust the Lord. We are in perilous times. We are in scary times. You know, to, today, President Putin of Russia has put his military, uh, the nuclear arm of his military on active combat status. And we don't know if he's just chest thumping or if the man's crazy. We don't, we don't know what we're dealing with. But even, not even counting outside of our nation, we are in a, we're in a nation, we've always been a nation that tolerated different views. But right now, we're a nation of two different realities. Oh, I know there's overlapping, and I don't mean if you believe this, you're of the enemy. If you believe this, you're of God. Um, but I, I want you to understand, we are, in, we are in a fight for our country, and we need to decide what we think is really an important characteristic of our country, and we better engage in the fight. Now, I'm not, I'm not going to get in conversations over this, this right or that right or this right or that right. Uh, again, that's something you've got to decide. But I know this. We need to be like the men of Issachar. Two things. They understood the times. I don't think the church in America understands the times. In fact, I, I, can't, I can't even get into this. But I think we have already run past one or two opportunities for repentance and renewal as the church, we've run past it and we have chosen rage and anger instead of, instead of repentance. And I think, we, I think the church doesn't even know it. We've passed two exits on the road to revival. 
and we're too blind to realize this is how it's going to come. We're too concerned with, with having it our way. And loved ones, having it our way is what got us here to start with. So we need to trust the Lord. And that leads to a third thing there in your notes. We need him to tenderize our hearts. He has to tenderize our hearts. I, 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 we, again, I'm not, I'm not just beating a drum. Society is getting meaner by the moment. It, the churches are getting more divided by the moment. Churches aren't getting better. Ours is. But we're, we're, we're a weird church. Led by a weird man. But I want to tell you, the church in America is not getting better. It's getting harder. It's getting more angry. It's more refle- re- reactive uh, in, in, um, in its responses. And we are in a perilous time where we need to pray for the church to wake up and become what she was meant to be. And we need God to tenderize our hearts. You say, well, I just believe I'm right. You may be right, but your anger and your venom, your toxicity can make us wrong. All of us need to be aware of that. You can be 100% right, but your venom make you 100% wrong. And we have to let the Lord tenderize our hearts. And fourthly, we've got to be willing to transition to a new era. Christian life lessons, for some of us, this is a Joseph and Mary moment with our children. Mary didn't understand it. She knew the supernatural dynamic of her son's life. But Mary had to just sit back and ponder these things. It wasn't all going to be made clear to her at once, but she kept her heart tender. It may be an Elkanah and Hannah moment where we say, oh, yeah, I've got, to, I've got to dedicate my child to the service of the Lord. That's tough. There, there's plenty of tough things there as well. It may be an Elizabeth and Zechariah moment where you're committing your child to the Lord and he's going into the wilderness. That's tougher. But we, every one of us has got to decide what this moment is. I've told you for several years that it will look like the church has lost before we begin to see that the church has won. And I want to tell you, I consider myself an optimist, but it looks like the church has lost. It looks like conservative Christianity. I'm not politically conservative. I'm talking about theologically conservative. It looks like we have lost It looks like the average church on the street corner is so divided. It looks like Christianity has lost. But I've told you for years it's going to look like that before we see that God has used hell against itself. On Satan's best day, on Satan's best day, all he can do is embarrass himself. Because God is in control. God is in charge. The question is, are we going to buy into that truth instead of buying into the enemy's lies? We have to make that decision. Now, for those of us that are old enough, we think we know it all. I want to point you to Barzillai. Barzillai, the Iron Man of the Hills. When David had to flee Jerusalem from his son Absalom, Barzillai 
met David and gave him food. David stayed alive in the wilderness in large part because of Barzillai. And when Absalom was defeated and David is coming back, Barzillai, who was a man 80 years old, it used to sound really old to me. Now, I figure he's getting a second wind. But he's coming back into town and Barzillai meets him and David says to him, uh, well, Barzillai was very old, 80 years of age. He provided for the king during his stay in Menhanaim for he was a very wealthy man. The king said to Barzillai, cross over with me and stay with me in Jerusalem and I will provide for you. He, he meant come sit at the king's table. You will be a part of my government and you'll never have a care in the world. You'll never have an expense the rest of your life. But Barzillai answered the king, how many more years will I live that I should go up to Jerusalem with the king? I am now 80 years old. Can I tell the difference between what is enjoyable and what's not? He says, I, I went to Whataburger and I didn't even, I couldn't tell the difference between a double, pound, a double meat with cheese and a fish sandwich, you know. Can your servant taste what he eats and drinks? Can I still hear the voices of male and female singers? Why should your servant be an added burden to my Lord, the King? Your servant will cross over the Jordan with the King for a short distance, but don't reward me this way. He says, let me go. Let your servant return. Let me go home. Now, Barzillai wasn't necessarily wrong. I mean, there was a lot to be said. There was a lot to be said for I'm 80 years old. I've lived here 65 years. I want to go home. I'm used to my home, but I want to honor you. And David understood. David understood. He was passing up something, and it could be that he was right when he said, you know, at my age, I can't enjoy this. I can't drive after dark. I can't get here for this, that, or the other. But Barzillai did something that puts him a head and shoulders above Hezekiah. This is what he says. Let your servant return that I may die in my home. But here is your servant, Kimham. He's one of his sons. He says, let my son cross over with my Lord, the king. Do for him whatever you wish. The king said, Kimham shall cross over with me and I will do for him whatever you want me to do. And anything you desire from me, I will do for you. I want to tell you, some of us are old enough some of us in our 70s and 80s, and I'm not in my 70s, I want to make that emphatically clear. <laughs> but I am closer to 70 than I am 60. And thank you for all your birthday wishes, by the way. Phenomenal. Uh, I got a card I thought was particularly funny. It says, you still look marvelous at your age. I see you there standing on a hillside, the wind blowing through your hair and you chasing it, but, but this, this is my hair. This is my hair, it's all my hair. But you know what, you know what Barzillai said? He said, David, I, I appreciate the offer, but I realize that it's time for my sons to step in to the king's benefit. You have been gracious to me, you've been kind to me, and I'm going to decline this, but I am going to, to give you my sons. 
And the Bible says when David died and he was talking to his son Solomon, he said, remember all the sons of Kimham. I think there were five if I remember correctly. He said, you do for them everything you can do because of what their father did. Loved ones, I want God to do something for my children. I want God to do something for my grandchildren. I want God to do something for my grandchildren. And I want them to have the kind of relationship that God says, I'm going to do that for them. But I want to have a part in the legacy. I want to be able to hear God say, I'm going to bless your children. I'm going to bless your grandchildren. I'm going to bless your great-grandchildren. And I'm going to do it for their, for their sake. That's what David said. He said, I'll bless Kim Ham. That's not an issue. But he said, I'll do something special because of you. I want to join the Barzillai family. Don't want to be like Hezekiah. At least it won't be in my time. I want to be able, you know, that's, think about Moses. God said to Moses, he said, you're not going to enter the land because you disobeyed me. Moses had such integrity of heart that Moses said, okay, if I'm not going in the land, that's fine. But I want to do the best I can to get everybody else there. You see, there's never a time to step aside and say, it's not going to help me. Never. I'm going to ask you to stand. We got to close here because I've always said I'm going to be through by 12. We have two prayers for us. This is what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask the prayers to come on up on the platform. This is what we're going to ask you to do. We're going to pray for you. Then we're going to ask you to be seated. We're going to ask you to fill out this card. And I'll tell you what I want you to do. I know it'll take a few minutes. I want you to know technically I'll be through. You can put it in the offering boxes on your way out. You can give it to one of the ushers or you can do what I'm going to do right now. I, you can come and just lay it right here. Others of you that aren't here, I know you'll have to do it by mail or online. I, I understand that. But we're going to be prayed for and then we're going to invite you to stay as long as you want to. We're going to sing that very beautiful song about generations and about the blessing. The song is the blessing. And I want to ask as many of you as can to just stay through that song and just beseech the Lord for the blessing on our children and our children's children and our children's children's children.